Open, open with me to Numbers chapter 13. I'm finishing the Beyond series this morning. We've been walking through the book of, of Exodus, and now we're, we're concluding today, and my sermon is entitled, Believe to Go Beyond. Very appropriate for what we've just been doing, Believe to Go Beyond. And I believe that this is a season where God is encouraging and calling the church, and specifically the church in America, but the church in the world, to believe that the same God who did the works that he did in the Bible is the God we're following today. The same God that did the works of the Bible is the one we're following today. What you believe will determine what you do. What you believe will determine what you do. What you believe will determine what you inherit in the kingdom. What you believe will determine what you inherit in the kingdom. Stephanie and I have been watching a bunch of Irish movies. Uh, it was St. Patrick's Day, and the best way we could celebrate was watching movies from Ireland. We were watching one with Emily Blunt called uh, Wild Mountain Time. It was, it was charming to young people growing up on farms by each other. And the whole time, this girl wants the, the, the boy on the opposite farm to marry her, to fall in love with her. And at the end of the movie, so she's beautiful, right? It's Emily Blunt. She's beautiful. And he's over at her house. And, and he won't, it's driving you insane because he won't ask her out. And you're like, you're crazy. This woman's beautiful, and she loves you. And she's like, do you not find me attractive? And he's like, no, I do. And she's like, do you, do you not like women? And he's like, no, I do. And, and finally, she's like, then what's the deal? And it's driving you insane because you're like, this beautiful woman. She's like, she's, and, and this is kind of a goofball guy. And, and why isn't he asking her out? And he finally says this. This is after you've watched an hour and 40 minutes of this movie. He goes, and I, I mean, I am, I am being driven nuts that he won't just turn and ask her out, right? The tension has worked in the movie. And he finally goes, I believe that I'm a bumblebee. And I'm, I look at Steph and I'm like, I did not see that coming. <laughs> We're like, okay. And that's why he hadn't asked her out or proposed. And, and just to spoil the movie, she, she like accepts him, even though he's believed that he's a bumblebee. You're like, oh, that makes more sense why there was this long scene about you rescuing a bumblebee from your house. And like the scene where you came in and stared at the TV when it was a documentary on bumblebees. Anyway, but it was so weird. And in the end, she kind of talks him into like, like, it's okay and I still love you and they get married. Um, but I was like, that is such a great example of what you believe determines how you act in life. And uh, that's a very silly illustration. But I also read a very tragic illustration this, this week. Uh, I, I love the nation of India. Uh, it's a beautiful, it's intriguing, my favorite cuisine in the world. But there is a horrific... Um, thing that's transpiring every year where one million women are murdered uh, purely for the sake of what is in the belief system. So the, 
one of the aspects of the belief system of Hinduism is instead of people being made in the image of the one true God, the belief system is in reincarnation. And so women are actually uh, people who have been reincarnated at, in a lower state. And, and so it's, they're not in the higher state of a man, they're in the lower state of a woman. And so they must suffer in this life to pay for your wrongdoings and so there's a thing called gender side or, uh, or, or, or female, um, there, there's these horrific things done to women that they're murdered just for being a woman or a dowry death just for being a woman. And so that hundreds of thousands, a million women aren't living out their God-given destiny just because a belief system that's empowering destruction. Uh, so we want that to, to change, but what the application for us is, is that oftentimes we as believers, and we're called believers, by the way, don't live out our God-given destiny because of what we believe in our mind, what we believe in our heart. We, we're going to finish this series today very quickly by looking at this question, did the children of Israel, actually this generation that saw God move in power, did they fulfill their destiny? It says this in, in Numbers 13, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. This is how God works. You, you see, he gave them a command, send some men to explore. He gave them a promise, the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. Okay, so this is how, this is the pattern of how God works throughout scriptures. Just make note of this pattern. He gives us a promise, okay? This is the land I'm giving you. This is the promised land I'm giving you. He gives you a command to walk into that promise. Did you hear me? This is how God works. He gives you a promise, and then he gives you an act of obedience to walk into that promise. Now, the promise is a gift from God. It's just a grace gift. It's not something that you achieve, but there's always an act of obedience to step into the promise. Let's dive into this. Uh, Numbers 13 is where we're finding ourselves. We're going to look at verses 26 through 33. So remember, he sends out, Moses has sent out these spies. It says, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community of Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our eyes, and we look the same to them. 
Here's what I want you to take note of. Two groups of people, they saw the same thing with their natural eyes. But in the eyes of faith, one had a completely different, completely different viewpoint. There's this big juxtaposition as we come to the conclusion of the Exodus story of how people saw things. One saw the obstacle, one saw the faith. One saw the obstacle, one saw the promise. And it drastically determined how they would move forward. Here's my challenge for you today. If you feel stuck today, if you're in a very painful situation that you can't seem to move out of, perhaps it's due to the fact that you're not moving forward in faith. Perhaps it's because God's given you a promise, but you're not walking in an act of obedience that God has called you to. It says, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. You see the, you see the difference? The, the, we just read, one group said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Joshua and Caleb saw the land and they said this, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. How can one group walk through the exact same piece of land and say, this land devours people and we should go back to Egypt, and one group walks through the exact same land and says, it's exceedingly good, we should take the land. You see how different that is. They go on to say, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. So the people of Israel start bickering and they're grumbling and they're saying we need to cast off restraint. And here's what Moses does as a leader. And this is what God's calling us to do as leaders, by the way. I love this. He, he actually asks for forgiveness for the people. He actually says, God, will you forgive the lack of faith? The Lord replied, I have forgiven them, and you, as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me, Ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, say different spirit. Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, say wholeheartedly. 
I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Here's the tragic outcome of this story. God took the children of Israel. He delivered them through miracles, signs, and wonders, put plagues against the, the most strong government and, and, and powerful nation on the earth at that time, Egypt. God smites it, and then God opens the Red Sea, and they have a cloud by, by, by day and a fire by night, and he miraculously provides, and yet those people did not walk into their promised land. Two people did, Joshua and Caleb, who had a different spirit and followed him wholeheartedly. Here's what I know. Here's what I know, that we can see God move in power, that we can have the most amazing promises, and yet we can miss inheriting all he has. And my dream for you as a pastor, this is what I'm crying out, is that you would walk in a different spirit that you would choose to be like Caleb, that you would choose to be like Joshua, that even though people around you and Christians around you are saying, oh, the world's on fire. This is awful. This is dark. I can't believe it. That you would say, I choose to believe God. I choose to believe his promises. I choose to believe what he has said in his word. I choose to believe what he has said to me and we will inherit his promises in my life. Let me give you um, three, three things that will keep you from inheriting the promises really quickly. Number one, fear. Uh, please write these down. Number one, fear. God has a promise for you, but what will keep you from inheriting his promise? Number one is fear. They said this, these people are too big. Can I tell you, if God is for you, no one can stand against you. If God is for you, no one, no thing, no experience can stand against you. Fear will stop you. But my challenge to you people of God is renounce fear. You actually say this with your own mouth. You say, I renounce fear. I will not partner with it. I command a spirit of fear to leave me. Now, when, when you're... In Christ, you are a possession of the Lord. So I don't believe that you can be possessed by an evil spirit. But I tell you, you can be oppressed, okay? Let me explain it this way. My house, I own it. I have the title deed. No one can come and take my house. I have it. But if I, I, I've had my house broken into before, someone could, someone could come through a window. They don't own it, but they come and afflict me. And, and that is what evil spirits do to Christians. And that is why we don't want any open windows into our house. And so we shut those down by renouncing fear. So you partner with fear, spirits of fear can come and afflict you. But once you repent of partnering with fear, once you renounce them, then you can command that spirit of fear to leave you. Okay? Uh, the, second, the second thing that will keep you from inheriting the promise is grumbling. Grumbling. Okay? Uh, sometimes as Christians, we can be professional grumblers, and, and, and we act like it's because we have a discernment, right? We're like, oh, I'm so discerning, that person, right? My, my workplace is, right? And, and we use it as our, we say it like discerning. But what, what the children of Israel did is they, they grumbled, and grumbling quenches the Spirit of God. Grumbling quenches 
the Spirit of God. If we had food in Egypt, you know, we, we had food and we should go back. No, we shouldn't go back. Here's the last one that will keep you in from inheriting the promises, resignation. If only we died in Egypt. If only we, if only we died, resignation. This is one of the main things that keeps people from inheriting the promises is when we, we start just wanting to give up. And let me just tell you, that is, that is going to be one of the biggest challenges. It's the biggest one I've, I've dealt with is when you just, you're like, man, I just want to give up. If only I died, man, dead people have it so much better than we do, right? <laughs> if, only, if only we had died, and, and so we need to renounce that. So let me give you quickly the five questions of believing, the five questions for believing. This is what will let you walk into your promised land, how you're going to take your inheritance. Number one, what does the word of God say? What does the word of God say? If it's in the Bible, if there's a promise in the Bible, then it's your inheritance. All his promises, the scripture says, are yes and amen. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here is my my problem with, with, with the day we're living in. I want to put up this chart real quick, and I'm just pleading with you for this not to be you. Social media versus scripture. Percentage of evangelicals, that's us, people who believe in the word of God and who practice the word of God in the U.S. who say they use the following every day. 66% say they use Facebook. I would love for our younger generation, because this is a young church, to know about Twitter and to, to know about, about uh, Snapchat and to, to know about TikTok. But 66% of evangelicals say they look at Facebook every day. 39% say they, they use YouTube every day. 32% say they look at the Bible every day. All right. Now, you become what you behold. Okay? So we're becoming one big fat Facebook. Please let this not be you, okay? Please be in the Bible every day because the Bible tells the truth, and I don't know if you know this, but social media is not always known for telling the truth. Everything the Bible says is true. Not everything on social media is true. So please get your information from the Bible, not social media. All right, number two, what has God said to you by his spirit? What has God said to you by his spirit. So he speaks to us through the word. Here's the simple fact of the matter. The more you're in the word of God, the more you hear his spirit because you understand how he speaks. But God speaks to us. The the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. John chapter 8 says, those who belong to God hear what God says. Throughout the book of Acts, we see that the spirit speaks. So we want to become people who hear the spirit speaking it's, most of the time, it's not an audible voice. It's the voice right to your heart or to your mind. It might be through an image. It might be you're reading the Bible and a scripture is highlighted. But we start writing down and we start savoring what God is speaking. Number three, what is prophesied over you? What is prophesied over you? Here is the power of continually being in church on Sunday mornings, continually being in small groups. I want to encourage everyone to be in that 
continually uh, meeting with someone in discipleship, the more you're in those, because you reap what you sow, the more you're in those, the more likely you're going to get pro- prophetic words over you. So this week, I'm at a, a, at a meeting, a pastor, someone comes up to me, just kind of sees me from the back, comes back. It, it wasn't some big deal, but he just came to me. He had a word, but it was one of the top words of my life. And so what did I do? The second I walked out of that meeting, I opened up my, my voice memo and started dictating what he said. And then I'm starting to write it down. Why? Because this is what 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 1.18 says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. How do you fight the battle well? By recalling the prophecies spoken over you. How do you fight the battle well? By recalling the prophecies. Don't ever get a word from, from, from someone that you actually know is from God. Now, now, here, let me just be very clear. Everything that everyone says to you is not from God. I have had some ludicrous things said to me before. How do you know it's God? If it lines up with the Bible and it resonates in your heart. And if you still don't know, talk to a trusted mentor. So I'm not saying that everything everyone speaks, but I, I had one person come up to me down here and I said, Did, you know, they were prayed for. Did you get healed? No, I didn't get healed, but I got a powerful word. I'm like, awesome. Maybe that's what God was wanting to do in your life at this moment. She was very encouraged. Write those down and recall those. We, we, those, are like, those prophetic words are like fuel to help you keep going. So many of the things I've seen in my life are, have come through prophetic words and standing and fighting with them. Number four, what have you seen God do? What have you seen God do? Exodus 19, it said, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You have seen. That is why I constantly talk about my heart being healed, that dramatic heart condition. That's why every week we start our staff meeting with testimonies of what God did this week because we're reminding ourselves of what God has done. The word testimony actually means to do it again to do it again. So that's why we're always sharing testimony. You need to remind yourself. Every day, I start thanking God for what he has done in my life, and it builds my faith to see it again. That's why we, I wanted you to see that, that testimony video of someone in our church. Okay, He's off at college now, but you'd seen him walk in, or many of you have seen him on crutches, seen him in his knee brace, seeing him without his knee brace, deep, doing these deep knee bends right from a doctor-diagnosed physical condition that he came in on a knee brace and, and, and crutches. The next day, he's up doing these knee bends. God is, God is moving, and we want to recount those different things of what he is doing. Um, I, I want every person in our church to see God move powerfully. Uh, when you see God move powerfully, you move from your faith being, does God exist, to your faith being, God how much can I see you do in my life? How much can I see you do in this lifetime? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like when I started seeing God do miracles, after, after, after I laid hands on someone and saw my first miracle, I've never doubted again, does God exist? What I've wondered is how much of the New Testament can I actually see come to fruition with my own eyes? Okay, now this is why I, I, I really ask, come 
on this Saturday night, April 1st. So let me just put up this, this thing again. We, we are in charge, all people. So there is, there's this thing going on called Hope California right now, and it's millions of Californians believing that God wants to take back our state. That God actually created California, that he has a good plan for California. He doesn't want to destroy California. He loves California. He wants to bless California. It's culminating in 10 stadium events throughout San Diego. How cool is that? They're all happening this weekend. Okay, we are actually leading one. So us and, and 20 churches are coming together. And so there's this going to, in San Diego High School Stadium, so downtown, the stadium that's in downtown San Diego, it's right off the five, you've looked up and seen it. Uh, there's going to be a festival throughout the day. About 20 churches are helping put that on. We've been asked along, so all peoples in the Rock Church have been asked to do the primetime event from five to seven. So we're going to, our, our band with the Rock Man is going to lead worship. We're going to do a drama. And then I'm going to get up and we're going to declare healing. And we're going to ask people to raise their hand that have been healed. And then you, my dear friends of all peoples, are going to lay hands on people. And the different Christians, we're going to lay hands on people. Here's the thing, what I find. When, when we start praying for the sick among the lost, God always works miracles. Just seen it all around the world. This is, this is what God loves to do. Jesus actually said this in John 14. He said, believe in me when I say that I'm coming to the Father, or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles themselves. So we're going to pray. I want you to be there. Uh, I want you to have your kids with you, because many of your kids will see their first miracle. Don't you want your kids seeing miracles from their earliest age? Then Miles McPherson, he has a, a little evangelism gift. Um, I'm kidding. He has uh, crazy evangelism gift. He's going to preach the gospel. Then the next hour, all of us churches, so 20 to 30 churches, are united praying for revival. And so um, Dr. Garlow, who just got back from Asbury, uh, Jurgen from Awakened Church, Tommy Miller from Word of Life, um, Pastor Al from Victory Outreach Church, all... all about half a dozen of the pastors that you would know will actually be up on stage leading Weston Stutz from Captivated Church. And we're all going to be praying in this stadium uh, for revival. I don't know that, maybe, maybe some of you that have been here for a while, I don't know that there's been a time where this many churches are united in a stadium praying for revival in San Diego. Awesome opportunity. So April 1st, and for those of you that are intimidated by going downtown, I'm actually going to show you the parking lot to park in. Here we go. I actually did this myself. Um, this is the five right here. This is San Diego High School Stadium, or it's also called Balboa Stadium. Here is Balboa parking lot. So uh, Balboa Park parking lot. If you park there, there's a walking bridge. So there will be plenty of thousands of parking spaces uh, on Saturday night. You'll be able to, to park, walk over the bridge, come join us. Make sure you get there by five. Uh, bring, bring people, bring lost friends, bring people that need healing, and let's pray for God to visit our city. Amen? Amen. Awesome. You don't want to miss, miss this historic event. I have one more thing to show you. All right. Um, this is a snowboard. I know we don't live close. Uh, we live closer to the beach, so I should be showing you a, a surfboard, but... My, my last point, how do we walk in belief? Um, we have mentors and community members that speak into our lives and, and teach us. Um, the first time I went snowboarding, I thought I was going to be awesome. 
kind of like a theme of my life. Um, I, I thought I was going to be awesome because I grew up wakeboarding and, and, and water skiing. And I got on a snowboard and I just kept landing on my backside. Uh, I got so beat up. I finally, I, I finally took my little beanie off and stuck it uh, in my back of my pants to give my tailbone some cushion. Um, and, I, I, and, and so a, a ski patrol comes by on a snowboard, and I finally, this is on day two, I stop them. I humble myself because I was a, a, a college student. I humble myself, and I'm like, okay, I need help. You've got to show me what to do. And what it turns out is in, in wakeboarding, you use your front foot. In skateboarding, you're using your front foot to whip it around. And so I was trying to do that snowboarding, and I just kept catching the edge and bam, 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 hitting. And he goes, oh, you're doing it all wrong. In snowboarding, you use your back foot to carve down the mountain. It changed my life. What is the area that God has given you a promise in? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your workplace? Is it in the area of, of healing? Is it in the area of evangelism? Um, I just went down to El Salvador because I, I know I'm supposed to grow in healing. And so one of the men in our church actually does these healing meetings. And I, I was learning from him and it, it moved me forward in that area? Is it in the area of finances? Is it in the area of parenting? Uh, the amazing thing about a church is that God has put in this fellowship people who have been given gifts in different areas. And the amazing thing about the body of Christ is you go to them, and if you humble yourself and ask them for help, God will leapfrog you forward in inheriting the promises and you walking in your destiny. But I needed to humble myself and ask an expert that teach me how to get down the mountain, how to learn to snowboard. And that is what we need to do. I'm out of time. Watch this last verse. Worship the Lord. This is Exodus 23. Uh, you must demolish and, and break their sacred stones to pieces. This is talking about the idols. Worship the Lord your God, and his blessing will be on your food and your water, I will take away sickness from among you, and none will miscarry, or in the and none will be barren in the land. I will give you a full lifespan. God was saying, you worship me, you follow me, and you are going to see my blessing. You are going to inherit the land. You are going to see what is promised. So what does God promise this church? I just want to tell you really quick. God has promised this church to be a part of the greatest revival the city has ever seen. I want to inherit that promise. God has promised us to have a young people's movement. Um, if you notice, if you've been a part of this church, I keep getting older, but this church keeps staying very young. Why? Because God has, has something here for us. He's given us a gift to reach the young, um, to have churches planted around the world. God has called us to plant churches in every country of the world. Um, to plant 3,000 churches. God has called this church to have a permanent home. And 
People can oppose, people can come against, but if God is for us, who can be against us? So here's my last question. What has God promised you? What has God promised you? Every person in this room, God has promises for. What has God promised you? And let me ask you this. Have you responded to the last thing he told you to? There's so many promises that go unfulfilled because we don't respond. Talked to, to several people this week that were in very painful situations, but God had spoken to them something that they had not responded to. So let's respond to the Lord. Why don't we stand up?